Tonight's episode is brought to you by Vendetti Optics, SurvivalFeeling.com, Sherpa.com, and you, our listeners. But Cheyenne, I was not so hot on. Didn't think it was that great of a place, and it smelled a lot like Amarillo. And I think we've talked about Amarillo before. Amarillo smells like death and cow poop. up all of you wayward souls and welcome back to the wayward stories podcast wayward stories is the podcast where we tell stories of our adventures our explorations into the great outdoors the great unknown into ourselves um this is just the podcast where we tell all the stories we can find and so far we've been kicking along pretty good we're finding a pretty good flow super excited about the last couple of episodes that have dropped badass women of the backcountry has been doing really well and also the yak packing 101 and firecraft 101 episodes have been doing really well like feel like we're really getting a handle on things and we're going to try to continue that trend here tonight I am super psyched, as I always am, to be recording an episode, number one, because I love recording these episodes, but number two, because of broader life circumstances and the fact that I work out of state half of my damn life. If I'm recording an episode, it means I am home, in my home confines, and tonight, that means new confines. You, those of you who only watch the podcast and don't watch any of my other videos, are getting your first look at the new and improved slightly studio 119 i'm excited about it um you can't see my whole space here but i've got my whole entire own alcove here i've got sound dampeners i've got the whole thing going on all around you i've got new ring lights i've kind of i kind of dropped a couple of dimes on new studio equipment when we moved into this larger space and i'm super psyched to be recording it i even got a fancy desk I am not recording at my kitchen table anymore. Y'all, this desk, I mean, it's got all the bells and whistles for um, podcast recording, which most of which I just added to it because it's a pretty basic, plain old desk. But I made it look fancy and it makes me happy. It makes me feel good. And I'm here. I'm at home right now. As a matter of fact, it is sleeting outside. I have like at least an inch of sleet on the ground. Um, One of these weird here in Arkansas, sometimes we have these late winter when you're getting into early spring, late winter, we're towards the end of February. As I record this, um, sometimes we have these little ice storms slash snowstorms slash sleet storms. Today we have thunder sleet. You perhaps have heard of thunder snow. It's a relatively rare phenomenon. We got it going on today. We've got thunder. You may hear some thunder in the background. It's been kind of a neat day around here. But I'm in here, nice and warm. I'm recording. I'm in a new hoodie that I got on freaking clearance last night. I had to get some slacks for an upcoming, um, hmm, not to drop too much information into the public world that could get me into trouble, but I needed slacks for a thing. Anyway, I found this hoodie while I was searching for slacks, this marmot hoodie pretty fancy. It's got a little marmot dude on here. I like it for like 70% off. That's, that's fun. That's fun. So I'm excited. I got my hoodie. I'm in my warm confines here. I'm not out on the road. Y'all next episode, we're probably going to talk about this last trip for work that I had to take this last hitch. I did, I did three different delivery cities in three days time. And then spent the rest of my time in Columbus just in the wake of Winter Storm Landon, which they got nailed up there, y'all. 
Y'all, Columbus is a long stinking way from Fort Smith, Arkansas. I was way up there and it was like a whole thing in and of itself. And I'm pretty sure we're going to make an episode out of it because I think there's enough interesting stuff going on in there and it's fresh enough in my mind that it might just be interesting for you to listen to. And maybe, maybe you can get some ideas of some stuff you can go explore up there in the upper Midwest. But anyway, we are back in the studio tonight. I am ready to record this episode. I cannot wait to record this and then set my happy booty down in my personal recliner that belongs to me, not on some communal couch in some B&B somewhere after 14 hours of work and just edit. That just makes my soul happy. And that's what we're going to do tonight. What are we going to talk about tonight? I'm not sure how to title this episode yet. I thought about calling it the Great Canadian Road Trip, but that would be misleading because it would make people think that I'm going to tell you about some awesome road trip I took across Canada. Not true. That wouldn't be true. It's about a great American road trip that took me to Canada at one point in my life. Um, But like the Great American Road Trip, that's not nearly as um exotic sounding or as click worthy for someone to come and listen. Um, I don't know how we're going to title it, but I'll tell you what, the heart of tonight's story is really young wanderlust. Um, when we are young, many of us who have and were born with this adventurous spirit, however we came by it, we know what wanderlust is like. Like I suffer from it right now in adulthood, but it's different when you're young, kind of like love is. Everything's a little bit different when you're 17 years old, right? The world is like this broad place that you've only seen on TV, that you've only seen on the internet. Back then, it was just TV, y'all. Tonight's episode's also going to be a little bit of a time capsule. We're going to talk about some technology, some things that did not exist in the way we did things pre-internet, pre-incredibly easily accessible and available internet, pre-GPS, pre-a lot of stuff. Tonight's episode's going to kind of be a real time capsule for a lot of you young folks. You're going to be like, I have no idea what this is. Um, but you're going to find out about it tonight. But when you're 16, 17 years old, the world is a broad place. And every experience is an exciting experience. I mean, y'all like, think about this. Do y'all remember like turning, waiting to turn 18 and be like, I cannot wait to get out in the world on my own. And that first time you get out and you get your own apartment or your first place to live and you get your first real job and you get out there. And it's like, even that is awesome because it's like this rite of passage into adulthood. And then, you know, you wait like three or four years and then suddenly like God being an adult sucks. Um, and that's, you know, the time frame in life where being an adult kind of does suck. You're not old enough to have like a great job yet, any real experience, make any real money. You're struggling to make ends meet. You live on ramen noodles like I did for like six months, two meals a day. And that's only because I never ate breakfast back then. And now the smell of ramen noodles, y'all literally causes like reactions in my body and vomit could happen. Like it's a bad situation. I just can't even do the smell of ramen anymore because I ate it that much for that long. Um, now in this adulthood where I am post 40, I'm actually kind of starting to enjoy things again, but like I go on my tangents, let me digress. You guys remember how things are different when you're young and you get older. It loses some of that, that, um, wonder W O N D E R. It loses some of that. Because, like, you just get a little bit jaded. You get a little bit hard, you know? You get a little bit hardened. Um, 
And so tonight's story is going to be about a massive adventure that I took as a 17 year old might have even been 16 at the time. Y'all, it's been that long ago, 16 or 17 years old that by today's standards, like, oh my God, I think about my daughter. If she turns 16 and she's like, yo dad, I'm going to drive to Canada. I'm going to be like, no, you're not. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, I think that I would probably have a different reaction that we'd probably figure out how to make that happen, especially with everything we have in place today, like cell phones and stuff. But back in 1996, 1997, whole different world. But anyway, we're going to tell this story about my teenage adventure across this great United States of ours into the what seemed to be the unfriendly confines of Canada back in 1996 or 97, whatever year it was. So let's just like get into the story. We need to set it up first. What created a scenario where I, Justin, was going to drive to Canada? That requires a little bit of backstory. So as a teenager, became friends. I was in high school band. I was a percussionist. I played the quads and then the quints when we got fancy enough to buy a set of quints. Um, And I was in the band with several people, many of whom became really good friends to me. And one of them became my best friend. And we started a quote unquote rock band together, right? We learned to play guitar together. And we actually did just for reference or not reference, but for whatever. We did start that band. We learned to play guitar together. We did start that band. And by 2001, five years later, we were actually doing gigs and shows and getting paid for it and even had T-shirts and stuff, which was pretty legit at the time. But anyway, he was my best friend. He got a new car. His father was a doctor and rad, I don't know, nigh on 96, 97, because he would have been, he was a year older than me. He would have been 17. I would have been 16, something like that. He got a new car. He upgraded from his very first car, which we affectionately called the gray ghost. Um, It was a little Mazda something or other. It was gray and it was very fast, but he upgraded and he got a 1994 Honda Prelude. I don't know. I'm not really a car dude so much. And any of y'all out there that are car people, you will know that the Honda Prelude was a super, super fast car, super sporty, little fast Honda car. I don't know how long they made them. Don't think they still make them anymore. It was very fast. That's, that's the key here. It was very fast. And in 1997, this is something you guys need to understand. We all grew up, you know, in the 80s and into the 90s. And so our first cars were old cars. Our first cars were like 1970s and 80s models car where everything was just utilitarian. Y'all, they don't, the car you're driving today for a lot of you youngsters, the first car you ever set foot in probably just looked like they all do today. And it wouldn't be a culture shock to you. But to us up until that time, everything was utilitarian. There were no shiny lights all over the dash. Electronics weren't a huge thing because we're all driving old cars, right? He gets this 94 Honda Prelude and we all go out to his house one night. Me, well, I say we all, a friend of ours and myself and he all sat down in his car and we're like, you know, I'm in the back seat. They're both sitting in the front seat and we're looking at this and you feel like you're in like a fighter jet cockpit. The whole dash was lit up. Everything was lit up with all these different colors. There's like blues and there's reds. And it was just like, we're like awestruck. It's like, oh my God, this is amazing. And we're talking. And of of course, because we started a band together, like we were all about road trips. We road tripped everywhere we could road trip. I remember when he tried out for OBU, um, he was the first chair trumpet and he tried to go try out for OBU and try to get a scholarship there. Like that was a three hour to everything was a road trip. Let's make a road trip. 
that's being what 17 years old, right? That's what you do. So anyway, we're sitting in his car and we're looking at this and there's just this, this sense of awe, right? We're having, I don't know. It, it was just a moment. It was a moment. That's the best way to put it. And I was like, Greg, this car, this car is pimp, right? This car is amazing. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, you know what? We ought to take a road trip this summer after school's out. We should take a road trip. And he was like, yeah, where should we go? And my brain, quick goat thinking, I was just like, hmm, you know what sounds just absolutely ludicrous? Canada. So I was like, let's drive to Canada. I have an aunt, an aunt, I'm sorry, an auntie that lives in Canada. We should drive to Canada, Calgary specifically. And he was like, yeah, let's drive to Canada. And so we set this plan in motion and, um, it took us all of the next four or five months, which was with some time in the winter. I don't recall. We both worked at KFC Taco Bell in Potois, Oklahoma, Poto to the layperson, um, all through our high school years. Like all I mean, I, that's another thing I can't hardly eat to this day is KFC chicken or Taco Bell. It's just too much. It was too much for too long. But anyway, we worked together and we did. We saved up our money for the next four or five months. We told our parents, we're going to drive to Canada. We came up with this whole plan. And it's um, it's really funny because I don't think anyone believed us. And I'll tell a little um, anecdote as we progress through the story that will illustrate that point. But we did. We worked the next three, four months, however long it was until school let out. And we saved our money doing our little part-time shift at, you know, KFC, Taco Bell, go to school during the day, drive a half hour to Potois, and then work until two in the morning, come back home, and then try to get up and go to class again. It was kind of a terrible situation, but we did it, and we made that extra money, and the time came for us to leave, and we loaded up our stuff, and we took off, and it was the beginning. I mean, I'm talking y'all, like I was, what I mentioned, young wonderlust, right? Like you, you can't really put into words when you're 17 years old, you know, right now I have trouble finding the words to describe what it feels like. Cause when you're that young, again, everything's new and amazing. Everything is stuff that you haven't seen before. Everything is, it's that almost nostalgic desire for the open road come full force to fruition at a time when you're so young that it's just, it's amplified. It's amplified exponentially. Like it, it was an amazing experience just feeling like you're going out on your own to do this big thing. And it was exciting. And we were so psyched. So psyched, in fact, that not long, right out of the box, we made our way through Oklahoma. No problems. Interstate 40 and then up 35, heading up towards Salina and Topeka. And we made it through Oklahoma fine. But once we got into Kansas, we ran into our first little bit of trouble. And with this, we're going to kind of start the storytelling of this adventurous trip. You know, the leading up part, not that exciting, but you got to have a little context, a little background, and to know that we're really young. And things that we had working against us that we all have today and take for granted, 100%. As I think about it and think back, I'm like, gosh, we couldn't have even imagined. One of the things we did not have was, again, easy internet access. So it was hard to find. Like, we got, y'all, y'all remember paper maps? We used them. I mean, we used them extensively because it was the only way. 
Like I, I remember I had a United States Atlas and Gazetteer. I was see, I was the navigator. We had roles. Like he was his car and he was going to drive it by gosh. And that's fine by me. Um, at that time I've flip flopped that scenario now basically because of a wreck that he and I had together that nearly killed both of us. And now it's like, no, I'm driving like, okay, you don't like, okay, you can drive that car, but I still can drive my car cause I'm driving anyway. That's just a weird idiosyncratic quirk that came from a <laughs> near death experience, but he was cool that my job was navigator and I had two jobs. In the whole world, anytime that we road tripped anywhere, I had two jobs in the whole world. One was make sure we hit all our exits. You know, I had the maps, navigator. My other job was to spot cops. Okay, that was the main thing because we drove really fast everywhere. I do not condone it. Looking back on it, I don't I don't condone it at all. Y'all don't do it. Okay, I speed today a little bit on interstates. Speed limits are 75 everywhere. You do 80. Like that's just the law of the road. And you just go with the flow of traffic, right? Maybe every once in a while you find a little convoy of cars that you can fall into the middle of where you're not going to get picked off by the cop because he's going for the person in the front out of principle or the easy low hanging fruit in the very back. If you can fall into the middle of a line of cars that's kicking it down the interstate, say doing 85 or so, you roll with it, especially in the broad expanse states where there's not a lot going on, right? You do it within reason. But back then we drove way, way, way too fast, like way, way, way too fast to the point that sometimes you're going so fast that there's not time. Even if you spot the cop, it's too late because you're already on it. You're traveling at essentially light speed. And Kansas, we ran into that scenario and it was kind of the first portent of doom for our little adventure across the United States into Canada. And I don't remember what the speed was that he clocked us at or the speed that he actually wrote the ticket for because they were not one in the same. If he had written it for what he clocked us at, we probably would have gone to jail. But I know it was a, like a $280 ticket. That's just outside of, as I recall, I believe we were on 70 at that point. We were heading east-west across Kansas, um, east to west from... What's up there? Is that Salina or Topeka that we took 70 goes through? Doesn't matter. That's a big ticket, y'all. In 1997, when money was worth essentially half of what it is now, do that math. I mean, what's a $380 ticket? Then it's probably like a freaking $900 ticket now with inflation, especially the last two years inflation. We're going down. We're going to burn in flames if we don't get this inflation under control. Ain't nobody be able to pay their bills right now. Anyway. That was a big ticket. And also, like, the funniest part of this, do you guys remember, I believe it was Black Sheep. I was never big on Tommy Boy, but do you remember Black Sheep had Farley in it and David Spade? And they, they the nitrous was leaking into the car, and they get pulled over by the cops, and they're right in the middle of the lanes. This is somewhat reminiscent of that. Because we get pulled over. We're in the fast lane because we are going fast. You know, it's sensible. Um, and we get pulled over, and instead of, Getting over onto the shoulder, the outside shoulder, my friend pulls over to the inside shoulder, to which I'm like, we should be going over the other way. What are you doing? But anyway, we pull over to the inside shoulder. The cop comes up. He was incredibly stern with us. He wanted to see in our ice chest. We had to open the ice chest and show him it did not have alcohol, but rather sandwiches um, and soda and water, which it really did. Not lying to y'all. And he was, he was he was very stern. He was grumpy. He was not happy with us in the least, but he wrote us this massive ticket and he said something to the effect of you boys not have driver's education in Oklahoma. 
And uh, my friend Greg's like, yes, sir. I just took it last year. And he's like, did they teach you that the proper shoulder to pull over on is the outside shoulder? However, he worded it. And Greg was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It was it was a thing. It was a whole thing. He let us go. He let us go. It was fine in the end, except for that massive ticket. He let us go. And so we took off and we continued on. Well, not much further into it, we ran into the second portent of doom, which was literally a tornado on the plains. And I, I swear to you guys, I'm not making any of this up. We did not see the tornado with our eyes, but we drove into a storm that was so rough. It was so harsh. Like we had everything, the green tint. I mean, y'all know where the green tint in thunderstorms come from, right? Everyone talks about the green before the tornado. Do you know what that is? That is a real thing. And it actually comes from a real phenomenon. And what it is, is that as an updraft and upflow that is so strong that it has made hailstones so big. They are so high into the atmosphere. That green tint you see is literally the sunlight from above the storm filtering through that giant anvil thunderhead through those hailstones and coming out because that water is so pure it's greenish that's where you get the green tint we were driving through green tint we were driving through torrential downpours where you couldn't see we were literally in the downburst we were in the front half where you get to the hell core and those kinds of things happen it was a very very bad storm it was super slow going for quite some time the winds got incredibly high like there were large trucks pulled over to try not to blow over there was y'all it was a whole thing it was one of the worst storms i can actually remember in my whole life now and i've had 25 years since then to live a lot more life and actually become a storm spotter for the national weather service i put myself in those situations and it's one of the worst storms i can ever remember driving through and there's like a couple of things that should be known about well we drive out the other side this is how bad it was we drive out the other side finally it starts to lighten up we're coming out the other side the interstate is closed down the state police and kansas department of transportation whatever kdot or whatever they go by had literally shut gates across the interstate for eastbound traffic coming out of colorado into kansas they shut the interstate down because they're about to drive into a freaking tornado. Well, I guess we were already in it and we were just stuck with it. We come out the other side, the other side of the interstate shut down. Their state police blocked down the interstate. Cars backed up forever, up off ramps and down, you know, off on ramps and off ramps and just waiting to get like the green light to open the interstate back up. They have like gates and stuff like that, which I'm assuming are for actual snows. You're starting to get way up into the high plains. And I'm assuming that's for when they shut the interstates down due to heavy snow, but they used it in this case to keep people from driving into a freaking tornado that apparently we were right in the heart of. And it exposes like one of the things I mentioned earlier about this time capsule situation. Like I mentioned, we were using paper maps for one, which I challenge a lot of you younger folks to get paper maps for places you go and try to start learning to use them a little bit. There's a lot of useful information on a paper map. I get it. I don't use them anymore. It's all Google Maps. Google Maps is the best. Guys, I deliver packages for Big Purple for a living. Telling you from four years of experience now, there's not a GPS or mapping software out there that's as good as Google Maps. Google Maps is by no means perfect. Don't get me wrong. Like Garmin, Magellan, like any of these guys, they're like, they're some of the worst. Like I, it blows my mind. It's like, you literally have one job. You've heard people say that you have one job in the whole world. 
that's literally your whole job and you suck at it. Like terrible, terrible. They just, they don't work worth a darn. Google maps is killer. Just, just know that I use it all the time. I use it daily as a matter of fact, but back then there were no Garmin's at all. Like maybe they existed. I don't remember when the military application kind of faded off when we started to gain access to the public. I know that my first outdoor GPS that I ever owned was like a $400 unit. And it was in 2001, like six years later, five, four years later, five years later, it wasn't readily available and we didn't have it. Okay. We didn't have cell phones, guys. That's another important factor. Cell phones were non-extent. You could get a car phone, but we didn't have a car phone. They were like suitcases that you carried around and slapped down in the floor of your old Lincoln Continental or whatever. Nobody had those except for car salesmen um, and doctors. But ironically, even though my friend's father was a doctor, we didn't have a car phone. We had no access to phones like that. We didn't have those tiny little computers we call iPhones and Androids in our pocket with all of this information like tornado warnings, things that probably could have almost saved our lives or kept us out of this little situation. We didn't have Google Maps. We had no GPS. Like, guys, this is all analog. That's the story of this trip. This was the great American road trip pre-digital age that was easily accessible to us. And it was a whole thing. Um, So we come out. I had no idea this is happening. We drive into it, go through this crazy freaking monsoon hurricane tornado situation, come out the other side, the interstate's blocked off. We finally get into the free and open. And it was just, it was really, really a very fascinating experience to be in a storm like that on the plains of Kansas. Because what do you grow up, especially in Oklahoma and Arkansas? We are a part of Tornado Alley. We deal with it to a degree, you know, consistently. But Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, those kind of states are where you get those massive twisters. So in a way, we're kind of experiencing Tornado Alley and the breadbasket of this country firsthand. And it was a very unique, nerve-wracking experience, Um, one that I you know, hope to never repeat and hopefully won't have to with the aid of all the digital technology that we have today. But anyway, we get through that storm. We're through our first two portents of doom for this whole trip. We get out the other side and it's getting close to, we've been on the road for a billion hours and it's time to find a place to stop. This road trip in total, by the way, I looked this up earlier. Like I actually had a pretty interesting morning today going through Google maps and following the track that we took and re you know, looking at the places we saw and trying to jog my memory. It's 2022. This was 1997. So what are we talking about here? 26 years ago, 27 years ago, whatever. Um, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. And it was really fascinating to see how far we went, how much we saw and remember some of the things that happened along the way. As I saw these little names of these cities that we went through, but it is a 1,958 mile drive, 29 hours on the road. One way we were on the road for all the hours that existed in humanity up to that point. That's what it felt like. So we get to Goodland, Kansas, we find a Motel 6. We Motel 6 our way all the way to Canada, y'all, because Motel 6 at that time, well, it's cheap, just like it is today. It was affordable, but it was also a little bit cleaner. And I'm still about the 6, y'all. I'll still stay in a 6 for $51 a night, $55 a night. If it gets me somewhere that I want to go because I'm not about to pay 200 bucks for a hotel and it's a decent one, I'll stay there. I've only actually come across two or three Motel 6s, y'all, that have ever been like, yo, this was a mistake. 
I'm about to get robbed or mugged. I'm dying tonight. Something's going to happen and I'm dying tonight. I've only come across like three of those. One of them was in Barstow, California. The other was in Amarillo, Texas. Like Barstow, though, that's just the story of Barstow. And I ain't going to try to pick on y'all out there in Barstow. But just for the rest of you who would travel down Interstate 40 for any reason, um, it terminates in Barstow, California. Just don't. Just don't. Just save yourself the heartache. Just don't. It's safer that way. Find somewhere else. That's that's all I'm saying. But I'll still use a Motel 6. They're not bad places. A lot of them are super clean. The more updated ones, you just kind of have to, like with anything, Google reviews and go see the most current reviews with user-submitted pictures. That's how you find out what you're getting into. Like, submitted a month ago and it has pictures? Look at that and base your decision on that. But anyway... We Motel 6 our way all the way up there. So we get to Motel 6 and let's crack open the time capsule again. Broke out the calling cards. Y'all remember calling cards? A lot of y'all will. Some of you um, folks that are not so not so um, green around the edges. Um, but for you younger folks, calling cards were literally how you called people. Like back in the day, collect calls, like anything state to state, long distance, that stuff was expensive. I mean, I remember collect calls. I remember getting collect calls from an uncle that lived in Houston when I was growing up in the eighties. And it's like, you pick up the phone, it'd be ringing, you pick up and there'd be like this automated voice on the other end. And it was like, Oh, how was it worded? You're receiving a collect call from, and then there would be the voice of the person and they would say their name and then come back and say, do you accept charges for this? Like collect calling was super expensive. So you couldn't do that. But into the late nineties, you got to where you had these calling cards and you'd use the calling card, scratch off the back. You'd get on the phone, call somebody up through the calling card. And it was like a prepaid, it's almost like prepaid cell phones before there were cell phones really available. And so I get there, get out the calling card, call home. Mom picks up the phone. Hello? Hey mom, just calling you from Goodland, Kansas. And there was a silence. And she goes, well, I guess you really did it, didn't you? Like, I guess up until we were a day, you know, 14 hours out on the road in a hotel somewhere, like in the back of her mind, she's like, these boys is silly. They ain't going to do this until I called her from another state. She's like, well, I guess you really did it, huh? Well, (laughs) what did she say? She's like, well, I'm not going to sleep for the next few nights. Have a good time. Like, okay. And went on from there. Um, Kansas Goodland, Kansas, like it was a good place to stop for our first day of travel. Um, And this is also a good place to stop. We've just hit 31 minutes. This is a good place to stop to take our ad break. And we'll come back and we will finish out the rest of the story in the second half of the episode. Just hang tight and we'll be right back. I want to take a second to tell you guys about tonight's sponsor, Survival Feeling. Survival Feeling is a hiking brand based in Greece, and they offer an assortment of gear that's aimed towards the goal of helping you better enjoy your time outside. And that is, of course, what we are all about here at Wayward Stories. I really like this company for a lot of reasons, but chief amongst them is that they were founded with giving back to the community in mind. They donate a portion of all proceeds to organizations like the Wildland Firefighters Foundation to help support those who work to keep us all safe while we're out there trying to find ourselves. We've partnered with them to bring you guys a unique coupon code that will save you wayward souls 15% off of your order. Go to survivalfeeling.com and use offer code waywardstories at checkout. Once again, that's survivalfeeling.com and use the offer code WAYWARDSTORIES. 
And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around through the ad break. Let's get on to the rest of tonight's story. Let's pick up where we left off in Goodland, Kansas. Okay, Goodland, Kansas, you're getting real close to the Colorado border. So you get up the next day and you head into Colorado. And the very first thing you notice about Colorado, this was my first look at Colorado. Pre this time, I'd done things, but mostly across the southeast United States. I'd never gone this far west. So this was like my first look at, you know, Kansas and Colorado. And at first glance, your first reasonable distance into Colorado, basically until you get to Denver, is it's just like Kansas. And y'all, Kansas, Kansas, like I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. Like I like you guys. Okay. You're a great state. And I eat bread that you guys produce all the time. I'm happy that you are out there doing your thing, being Kansas. But to drive through, it is not exaggerated how boring driving through Kansas is. There's not even a tree to pee behind, y'all. If you don't hit a truck stop within 100 miles and you have to go to the bathroom, there's not even a tree to pee behind. It was... It seemed like it took three years to get across Kansas. And we're like, finally, Colorado. And it's like, oh, wow, Colorado is like more Kansas. But, but you finally hit Denver. You start to see Denver International Airport off the interstate to your right. And the mountains have begun to tower in front of you. And, you know, in your brain, like when we first got into Colorado, like I don't know how many of y'all watched Dumb and Dumber, the original one. Like I personally am not a fan of stupid comedy movies, but that's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I just the first thought that comes to mind as I look back on entering Colorado is like I thought the Rocky Mountains would be a lot rockier than this. And then, you know, a quote that I'm not going to put in here because I haven't quite mastered the bleep sensor sound, but something about John Denver not knowing what the heck he was talking about. That was my first thought. But once you get into Denver, it gets real pretty and it gets really pretty really fast. And suddenly you get your first true taste of the Rocky Mountains. Now, when you're climbing towards them in the upper plains and you're coming towards Denver and you see them start to tower in the distance, that that alone is a kind of a magical moment, especially for young 17 year olds, 16, 17, 18, whatever age we were. I don't know why I can't pinpoint the date, y'all. We didn't have great record keeping back then. And again, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have cell phones, so I can't go back to my Google cloud, my Google photos cloud and find a photo from that time and be like, God, that was in 1996. Wow. Whatever. No idea. I don't know. And I don't know how to even find out. I just know it was between 95 and 99 because we were in the middle of our high school years. And I'm pretty sure I always told the story as I was 16 and he was 17. And I think that's the case. So it would make it probably between 96 and 97. That would be the range. Um, well, we get there and it was just awe inspiring. You're that young. You already have a bad case of a wanderlust. You already have this case of, you know, this adventurous spirit that's within you and this being young and wanting to get out on your own. I mean, there's a little bit of that rebelliousness that comes from being a teenager that's in that, like, we're out here doing a thing. We're doing a grown up thing. And it just, it amplifies, I think, the beauty when you first see something like this to do it at such a young age in life and you're out on your own on your first real adventure. And it was absolutely breathtaking. I remember 
cruising through the Rockies because once you hit Denver, you you head north and you head an interstate north, and you're just you're going through the Rockies, man, and you're headed for Wyoming. And as you go through the Rockies, like one thing I remember very specifically, this is a tangible, vivid memory that I have as the navigator over here with not much to do but look at everything. The rail lines, because I've always been a nerd. I've said this in freaking my YouTube videos. I've said it on the podcast before. I am a nerd when it comes to old railroad history. I don't know why. I just love it. And we're traveling through the Rockies, through these mountain passes, and you're looking off one side of the interstate. God knows how many hundreds of feet down to the bottom to this river below you. And like over there, on the other canyon wall, like so narrow canyons, like who knows, maybe not even a quarter mile away from you. On the other wall is an old railroad grade cut through tunnel after tunnel after tunnel. And in like, you know, roads, you have a, a higher grade percentage that they will build a road at. Railroads, typically 2%. Extreme might get higher than that, but they can't maintain that for long. Railroads generally follow a pretty level path. Um, because it's just the nature of trying to haul that many hundreds of thousands of tons of materials. Um, and so you're on this road that could be changing elevation by hundreds of feet. And it's like one minute I'm looking over watching this, following this railroad grade that's just going down the side of this canyon, just hanging onto the side of the mountain like a billy goat or something. And it's a hundred feet below me and I see a tunnel down there. And then suddenly within a half mile or a mile, because of the change of the elevation of the road I'm driving on, suddenly that same railroad grade that is generally pretty level is 200 feet above me. And I can see way up there a trestle that it traversed across. I remember, don't remember the specific dates, but I remember the dates were very, very early that I was seeing on this rail line over the... um over the tunnels when I could see them and it was close enough. And it was in the 1800s, um, very early, probably 1870s, 80s, something like that. And I just remember being enthralled with that. I don't know why to the point that now I want to go back and do research and figure out where exactly we were when I was seeing that and see if that might happen to be a County road or a rail trail. I'm a huge proponent of rail trails, y'all. I've talked about it before. As a matter of fact, I've got a package coming from them tomorrow, supposedly, by end of day. It's got my new 2022 t-shirt and membership renewal and the new um, periodical coming out. I love reading the periodicals that come from the Rails to Trails Conservancy. Y'all should consider doing it. Anywhere from 13 to 20 bucks a year, whatever you want to do, and you get quarterly magazine with a lot of great ideas for some rail trails to go ride and you usually get a t-shirt or something out of the deal and it supports creating the great american rail trail which is going to be a bikeable hikeable railroad trail from the east coast to the west coast when it's completed and it's going to be awesome and i'm all about it but anyway i wouldn't be i, I would not be surprised if this old rail grade that i followed as we went through the rockies happened to be a rail trail and i've got to go do some research and find out because that's going to be an adventure i want to take if it's at all possible following the rockies was it was a experience that shaped me in a lot of ways mentally towards just my love for adventure and my love of the outdoors because it is such a awe-inspiring. It is an inspiring thing to see. And at 17 years old, I mean, it had a profound impact on my brain, on who I was going to become 
in this life as I moved forward. Um, and to the point that we're sitting here right here tonight, and I'm telling you about how profound an impact it had. And that's like 27 or 26 years later, we should probably do math real fast. Let's do math. Cause I can edit it in just a second. Okay. 26 years ago, I just did the math and I did it the embarrassing way that I'm not going to let you see, but we came up with 26 years. So roughly 26 years ago, a quarter of a century ago, it had that kind of an impact on me. And the other thing I noticed about Colorado, and this holds true for Wyoming and Montana, basically the Colorado, Wyoming, Montana is they're like half plains and half Rockies as you drive the route that we took anyway. The Colorado plains are not as exciting because it's more like Kansas. But when you start to get towards Wyoming and you start getting out into the flatlands of Wyoming, you start getting into like Butte territory and also more speeding ticket territory as it turns out. Um, but it's beautiful. It was absolutely stunningly beautiful. And I spent the last two days digging for some old exposures Back then, y'all, also, no digital cameras, y'all. I have no pictures to show you of this. I have no pictures, and I don't know why. We had point-and-shoot cameras, like the old-school disposable cameras, Kodaks. Like, I don't know, some of y'all so young, probably you don't even remember those. They're like these little paper, plastic type of things, and you'd go out there and just wind it, click, wind it, click. You couldn't change exposure. You had no idea what you were getting. All you could do is take the pictures and then take them to Walgreens or Walmart or where the heck ever you got your film developed and they took it in and processed it. And then they gave you pictures back a few days later. I can't find any of the pictures I took. I've looked, I've torn this house apart at all of my keepsakes and all my boxes where I keep some of these important things. I can't find them, but there was a photo in there of a double rainbow, literally perfectly framing this, this solitary butte far into the distance to the east with the setting sun from the west just blowing it out in this beautiful orange light that we took after a storm rolled over us in Wyoming from the interstate. And I can't find that picture and it breaks my heart in a lot of ways because number one, bigger picture, I don't, I can't find those pictures. I'm hoping they're somewhere, but with a divorce behind me and multiple house moves and God knows what else, who knows, they may have ended up in someone else's care at some point when I said, hey, check these out. I don't know. I don't know where they are. And that just breaks my soul because I will never have those again. But for the sake of this, I would have loved to have had at least one of these to scan in and put out there on Instagram that go with this episode. I don't know. The memories, I guess, at least are in my mind. But again, back to the time capsule. A lot of you young folks won't remember this. Like, I have no pictures because they were all actual film and had to be printed. There were there was no cloud. The government may probably maybe at that point could have had a cloud that was starting because the government had computers and an Internet, a version of the Internet. Here's some more stuff for you young folks. The government had a version of the Internet as early as the 1960s and maybe a hat a tad earlier. But I didn't look that up, so I'm not going to quote it specifically. But for sure, at least as early as the 1960s, they had a version of the Internet. We didn't get to see that stuff until, you know, the late 90s did it start becoming readily available. Um, which is also something that's just interesting to think about. Y'all ever stop and think about, we usually don't know about the crazy tech our government has until 20 years after it's obsolete. Can you imagine the things we're going to find out 20 years from now? that we were doing in 2020, we're going to be like, Oh my God, we were time traveling. Wow. Whatever. But that the time capsule again, 
no cameras, no images, no phones, no nothing to work with to do this. And so I've lost all those images and it makes me sad, but it was absolutely gorgeous. And Wyoming was absolutely gorgeous. That's one of the biggest takeaways I remember about Wyoming. Basically these things, the cops there did not care for people going way too fast. And we got another like $200 ticket. Y'all this trip after it was over with, there were three tickets that totaled like close to $800. It's like, didn't learn our lesson. But anyway, in Wyoming, we had that issue there were billions of antelopes. And as I was looking at antelopes, just to remind myself, you know, what it was like around here, there's cows in every pasture up there. There's antelopes like that. It's like, you'd almost think that they were domesticated herds. There's antelopes everywhere. Um, and I can't for the life of me, as I got to look and I was like, why is it not pronounced antelope? Like, have you ever heard the name Penelope? Go read it. If it's an antelope, then it should be Penelope. <laughs> or if it's Penelope, then it should be Antelope or Cantelope, a Cantelope, but that's not spelled the same. That's not phonetic. I'm just getting a little weird. Um, but anyway, there are antelope everywhere. Muchis moss, many, many, many antelope. And you have to be careful because you will strike an antelope at high speeds. It could happen. Um, number two, I thought not only were the Rockies beautiful, like that's the given here. The Rockies are beautiful, but the plains that you find yourself in in Wyoming were also absolutely gorgeous. The buttes that were everywhere. And like I said, the storms were rolling over and we're on the backside in the sunlight and you can see the dark clouds in the distance. And there was multiple rainbows at different times. Wyoming was absolutely gorgeous. And I want to go back. I would actually consider living there hundred percent different, especially Casper. Um, Cheyenne, not so much. Cheyenne's famous, right? Like it's been made famous by cowboy songs and country and Western music for time immemorial. But Cheyenne, I was not so hot on. Didn't think it was that great of a place. And it smelled a lot like Amarillo. And I think we've talked about Amarillo before. Amarillo smells like death and cow poop. And a lot of people say, well, that's actually the smell of money, son. And it may well be, but it still stinks to my nose. And I would not want to reside there. And that's what I took from Cheyenne, Wyoming, to be completely honest. But if you continue to travel north, one of the places we stayed and put up our proverbial tent for the night at the Motel 6, I think, or wherever the heck we stayed, was in Casper, Wyoming. And all I remember about Casper is coming away with the thought that I kind of sort of want to go buy a tent at Walmart and put it up and just stay here. I don't want to go home. Casper, wherever we were in Casper, however we passed through it, wherever we stayed, all I remember is that it was so beautiful that I did not want to leave. Casper was amazing. And Casper's, interestingly, very close to a very tiny mummified human that was found at one point in time that has made it to countless mysteries of the unexplained style blogs and TV shows. And I can't remember the name of it. Actually got it. Tip of my tongue. I almost had it, but it's fascinating. Go and look up the, the mummified little people near Casper, Wyoming, and you'll have a cool little story to keep you busy. Real human thing that happened. Real thing out there. It's not a myth. It's just not what people want it to be or think it is, but it's still absolutely fascinating. Um, Wyoming was absolutely gorgeous, and I loved the heck out of Wyoming. The tickets were starting to pile up, though, y'all. Like, 
back then, that's a lot of money. Cause I mean, I don't think, I think we only saved up three, four, five hundred dollars a piece. I maybe, I feel like I had something like four fifty, and he had like five to six hundred dollars. Of course, we didn't have to pay our tickets right there on the spot or anything, but that was kind of the situation is we had that just to cover gas and hotel rooms. Gas was also a lot cheaper in 97 y'all. I very distinctly remember a gas war that happened when the new Walmart Supercenter came into Poto America and suddenly gas was like battling at 87, 88, 89 cents a gallon. That was glorious even at that time. Y'all think that and you're like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. But there is like inflation accounts for certain things. But back then, even that, 89 cents a gallon was killer. We we got to go a long ways on 87 cents a gallon, 90 cents a gallon, whatever. Um, but again, the tickets, tickets were getting bad. That wasn't going to cost us because I didn't want to let this man have to shoulder the whole blame because it was my job, was it not? It was my job. I was supposed to spot the cops and I was clearly not doing a very good job because we were getting rung up all the way there. Um, but aside from that, we get on into Montana. Montana is a fascinating place. I would totally live in Montana as well. 100%. I loved it. I loved it. It was so, 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 so gorgeous. Every ounce of that drive that I remember through Montana was absolutely incredible. And there was something interesting. And I just found out today that we were in a very small, back to the time capsule, we were in a very small window of time where something existed in Montana that so many people will never experience in their life. From 1995 to 1999, Montana did not have a daytime speed limit. Not kidding. Go look it up. In 1974, with the energy crisis that I was not born around for yet, but it's enough part. I'm a history nerd. I love history. It's enough of the American zeitgeist and has shaped enough of the things we've done with bombs and shit across the world in the last 30 years that, you know, it was a big deal. It's part of the zeitgeist. Um, 55 was instituted as the speed limit, basically nationwide, because that is the speed limit where you supposedly get the best gas mileage. Um, but in 1995, that was repealed essentially at a federal level or whatever. And Montana was like, you know what? We remember the days. Nevada did it too. We were like, we remember the days where we didn't need speed limits. So let's just not have one. Well, like I just learned these dates today reading about this. Cause I was like, I remember this specifically, but I, it's been so long ago. And that's one of the weird things about memory here. Let me blow your brain. If this is never crossed your mind or you've never seen this before you we don't remember things the way they really happened we remember our last memory of the thing the last time we remembered it is what we remember every time we remember something and as weird as that sounds it's unfortunately i've learned in my experience to be true because i have had things in my brain that i knew for a fact and we're talking not last year we're talking like 10 years ago 20 years ago Things that I was like, I know for a fact this happened because I saw it with my eyes. And then only to find some, a, a video, what the heck ever it was, and see that I was absolutely wrong. And I absolutely remembered it incorrectly. And that was the first time it freaked me out. I was like, oh my God, that crap I've heard about our memories being subject to change is actually a real deal. So anyway, that's in my mind. And I'm going, I just, 
can't believe that there was never a speed limit in Montana, but I remember this. So I went and I looked it up and sure enough, it was 1995. They repealed that law and it stayed in place until 1999 when they reinstituted a speed limit during the day of 80 miles an hour. I think it's 75 then and it's up to 80 now, but I kid you not when we drove into Montana and there would be a picture of it. If I could find any of these pictures, when we crossed the border into Montana, it was the great big welcome to Montana side, big sky country, whatever. And below it, I mean, it was fascinating because I mean, it saved them a bunch of money on speed limit signs, right? Because you only got to put up one at every entrance to the state. There's the big welcome to Montana sign and below it, it has the speed limit posted for the whole damn state. And it says speed limit, daytime, anything reasonable and prudent, nighttime, 65. I swear to you, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Anything reasonable and prudent. And let me tell you something. That is subjective. That is completely subjective. And I promise you, reasonable and prudent to two 17-year-old boys in a Honda Prelude that will literally do 145 miles an hour is a completely different speed than the speed of somebody who is in the, say, you know, the, the, the evening, the, the winter of their life. They're too, it's a totally subjective thing, but fascinatingly enough, you know, it turns out that it's also subjective to the cop's judgment, but you know, we had broad daylight and we kicked it. We kicked it. I'm talking, we did probably 110 to 120 the whole way. And I'm not making that up for any glorious reasons. I'm actually kind of ashamed to admit that because now as a 41 year old man, I'm like, screw that guy. He can go kill a whole family acting like a fool thinking he can drive as fast as he wants. Like, I'm not super proud to tell you that I did that. So don't think I'm doing it for any kind of street cred or anything. That's just what we did. It's 17 years old. Um, and we went very, very fast. I'm, I'm talking like the world was a blur going past you. And it's an interesting thing that I noticed there that I think warrants merits mentioning here. Here in the rest of the country, we've all unfortunately seen a deer, you know, that's been struck by a car on the side of the road. Here in Arkansas and Oklahoma, we see multiples of them every year that mating season, running season happens. And it's sad, like, because deer are beautiful, man. But there's like a whole deer laying on the side of the road, right? Like when you see a deer that's been hit by a car, the whole deer's there, typically speaking. In Montana, it's the antelopes. There are many, many antelopes. Antelope, antelopin, antelopi, antelope. Antelope's got to be right. Anyway, many antelope across Montana. Again, herds of them. They're just standing around everywhere, just like cows in the pastures in, in Arkansas. And that's how you really knew that reasonable and prudent to most people was like 120 miles an hour because we came across the scene of an antelope that had been struck by somebody on the interstate. How do I keep it PG? Um, imagine if you dropped a watermelon out of like a 10 story building to the concrete below. That's what happened to this antelope. Like we come up and there's this, this red spray all over the road in the slow lane. Um, and then there was like an antelope leg over here 
on the shoulder. And then there's an antelope leg here in the slow lane. And then a little further up, there's part of its torso. And then there's another part of it over there. Like this antelope exploded. Somebody hit it, probably a big truck, judging by the, I mean, maybe not, but I'm just thinking big truck. Hit it at like a hundred miles an hour and this antelope just disintegrated. And it was horrifying, but somehow like gallows humor morbidly like funny because who thinks that an animal explodes on impact like but that's what the speed limits were like up there and that's how you knew reasonable and prudent to not just 17 year old boys most likely meant 100 miles an hour if the sun's shining and there is no wet on the roads it is not raining um What's funny is we got passed by people. We were, we were sitting at like 115, 120, and we would get passed by people. And we're like, golly. Um, and also saw a big truck that had turned over in the median at one point, And that was another indicator that, God, that guy was moving. Because basically it looked to us like half the truck was ground off. It had gone over on its side on the interstate and went into the median and like, instead of there being like a whole truck laying on its side, it looked more like there was three quarters of a truck laying on its side. Like, like a quarter of it had just been sheared off and everything that was on there was just flattened and smashed. And it was crazy how bad that truck was wrecked. Um, Montana, I guess probably after a few years was like, okay, yeah, like everyone, you know, we've only got like one person per hundred square miles, but we do have people passing through and it's really messy to clean up a car wreck that happens at 110 miles an hour. So they probably shut it down for reasons such as that in 1999. But it was fascinating to me to go back and do that research and be like, I want to make sure there was no speed limit and it is what I remember it to be. And sure enough, it just happened to be that small four year window. We fell into that window when our trip to Canada, the great American road trip for the boy's brother, Salty, that was our band name, don't judge me, 17 years old is a long time ago. But when we went, we were in that time frame and we got to experience the wild, wild, lawless west of Montana with no speed limit within the boundaries of reasonable prudence. Um, Montana was so gorgeous. There was something else that I noticed about Montana. And I don't remember where it was at. And this is something I want to find again. This has actually been one of those things, just like going through the Rockies and looking at that rail line. This is something that stuck with me through all these years that I want to go back. I want to figure out exactly where it was. And I want to go see it again in my adulthood, but it was on the interstate. And all I remember about it is there was a stretch where you're kicking down the interstate and you come into like this valley, just a very narrow valley. And the hills and the mountains are on either side of you. And you're basically following the river and there is a town, a small city, maybe may, just a small town, maybe a small city built along the river somehow in this maybe half mile between the two ridges. Like there's the river, there's like two blocks of city and then there's the interstate or it's the city to the river and then the interstate two blocks of city, river, interstate, but it's all together and it's long, linear, serpentine, following the river. And it was fascinating. It was absolutely gorgeous. And I was like, I want to come live here. I want to hang out here. I want to see what this is like, y'all. As I looked at Google Maps today and I tried to discern for the first time in God knows how long, where could we have been at? I know we were in Montana. I know we were in the last day before we hit Canada and was able to kind of narrow it down a little bit. And you reach this point where 
I think that it was somewhere on a stretch between Craig, Montana, and Great Falls, Montana, because the interstate that we took, because we went out through, I believe, Billings, Bozeman, and Butte. I remember all three of those names. There's a way there now that looks a little bit different that probably would have been a faster way, but I don't think we recognized that. And I do remember how I drew the map out and it had this huge bow in it that touched us. It took us way over closer towards like Idaho and the Yellowstone area, um, which we didn't go to, but we went that direction. And somewhere you hit the interstate starts to curve back to the north and it's around a little town called Craig and it goes as far as Great Falls. You literally follow sections of the Missouri River in that manner. And I'm thinking that with memory having wiped whatever it may have wiped in all these years, that it was somewhere in that stretch. One of those towns is the specific memory I have in my mind of that that setting. And it was so gorgeous. All of those. Great Falls was amazing. I remember Great Falls was beautiful. Um, the only real bad part, the only thing that was one of those portents of doom that happened in Montana, Montana was pretty much a win all the way through it. Montana was a great section of the trip, but I'm pretty sure we ate go from eat pizza in Montana. And it was one day around lunch. Like you think I'm joking. I'm pretty sure that I'm not joking about this. Okay. Cause <laughs> I'm probably am joking, but it just, it was this, this whole scenario that occurred. We get into wherever the heck we were. Don't remember the city. It was around lunchtime. We're we're blowing and going, heading straight for Canada. And we see a Pizza Hut. And, you know, back in the day, for five bucks, eat yourself sick at Pizza Hut. Like, for their lunch buffet, it was great. It was great. So you see a Pizza Hut, it's lunchtime, you're 17 years old. Like, your metabolism runs at like a 1,000% efficiency when you're that young. Like, we stopped and we ate ourselves silly. But something that we found funny is in the parking lot of this little pizza hut in this little town was like one of those banners you can get printed at a sign shop hung between two T posts, like fence posts. And it said, we will buy your gopher pelts here. No joking. And I forget the price. It was however much, 15, 25, 35. It said on there, it had a price for the gopher pelts. And it's like, we will buy your gopher pelts. And it was funny to us because we were like, where? We're at Pizza Hut and you're, we looked, I mean, I remember looking around and us actually having this conversation, like who's buying the gopher pelts? It's not Pizza Hut, right? Because like, where's, there's gotta be, where's the other buildings at that would be the place where somebody wants that gopher pelt for whatever they do with it. And there wasn't anywhere that was readily obvious. It was just something I can't really describe to you through this format, but basically it was in the Pizza Hut parking lots, like landscaped area that looked like it should have belonged to Pizza Hut. A sign that says, we'll buy gopher pelts. Later that night, we were both sick as dogs driving down the interstate with the most horrible case of Montezuma's revenge and other things, other things happening in the whole intestinal type of region that you just, I don't even want to describe to you and you don't want to hear about. It was a bad situation that haunted us for days. And back then, that was what we always said is I'm pretty sure we had gopher meat pizza at that pizza hut in whatever little town that was, because it was a nightmare scenario after lunch that day. And there was no real explanation for who it was exactly that was buying those gopher pelts. And the most obvious logical reason. And the funniest thing for me to say is we probably ate gopher meat pizza. So there you go. All right, y'all we're pushing an hour of episode now, but we got to finish this up. 
we still have a little bit more story to tell. We may cut off and chop off the very, very end of it and just make it nice and short and sweet because there wasn't a lot that happened on the way home. Um, but these next few minutes, we're going to try to get through the next part of the Canadian road trip, the American road trip into the confines of Canada, the great interior of Canada. Um, we finally get to the border. And I don't remember, I don't believe there was a visa situation involved. I didn't even take the time because I don't really care to go back and look if I needed a visa. I knew we, I think it was actually some paperwork that we just had to have signed by ourselves and our parents because neither one of us were 18. And there was some kind of, but it wasn't like a visa situation. You didn't have to have a passport type of scenario going on. Um, I don't remember what it was, but we had our papers, so to speak, to go into Canada. Oddly enough, the Canadian authorities at the border where we crossed in to go into Canada just thought it a little odd that two teenage boys from the great state of Oklahoma, 1,900 miles away, just thought it'd be fun to say that they had been to Canada. They didn't buy that story. So they had us come inside and they gave us a seat, a comfortable seat, because we're talking about Canadians, right? Like they were... Oh, very obliging. They were very much accommodating, eh? But they tore our car to pieces. They literally ripped the door panels out, the trunk, the pant trunk liners. Like they put it in, and here's the other thing. It's Canadians, right? So they put it all back the way it should have been put back. They didn't just like rip it apart and then say, oh, look, you don't have any drugs. You're not mules. Carry on, eh? Have a great day. Enjoy the great white north. Like they actually put it back together. But we spent two hours, as I recall, Sitting in this little room, it wasn't a cell. We could actually see them taking the car apart. It was more like a waiting room, honestly. But it was a whole damn thing. Like, it was a whole damn thing. Two hours of them just tearing our car to pieces, going through our bags right in front of us. Everything was fair game. And it was, like, really terrifying for a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. And I'm, like, looking at Greg going, God, I hope there ain't things about you that I don't know about. Because if he gets up in there and finds some such that would put us in... Canadian prison, which is probably admittedly better than like a Mexican prison. But I don't know if that you're not going to throw me under the bus. What if you're like, oh, that's his. And I'm like, I've never seen that in my life. Like it was ter- there were terrifying moments happening in Canada. Okay. We're in Canadian custody. And um, fortunately it worked out that they were like, okay, cool. Like, sorry for the, I mean, I remember that. Sorry for the inconvenience. They put it all back together and sent us on our merry way. So now we're on edge. Now we are suffering from the after the ill after effects of apparently consuming something not okay, like possibly gopher meat in Montana. We've just been shaken down by the Canadian authorities. Hardcore. We're 17 years old in a foreign land where suddenly everything's written in French. What? We had, like, I'm talking, we were losing it. We were like, God, which, which way do we go? Can we go that way? What does that sign say? Like, there was stuff in English. It's French-Canadian. Don't get me wrong. There were things in English. Like, don't let me overblow it completely. But, like, there was stuff, like, we weren't sure that we were driving the right speed. I mean, like, we had to figure out first. We had to do, like, a kilometers to miles per hour conversion. Like, we're looking at the dashboard because, like, cars back in that day, I don't know if they still are, but it actually had the kilometers, the KPH beneath the miles per hour and at first we thought we're good right it's like 80 kph or whatever until you do the conversion and it's 55 miles an hour and suddenly it's like wow we just did 120 miles an hour for like 13 hours and now the speed limit's 55 i felt like i could get out of that car 
while it was moving and crawl backwards and go faster than we were going because we literally had just spent 14 hours with our hair on fire. And now, like, it felt so slow. We were never going to get where we were going. Everything was in, like, French. had no idea what the heck was happening. We kept joking about getting arrested by, you know, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. But, like, I think that there was a real fear that existed somewhere in our minds because we're young. Again, guys, we're young. We're way out on a limb. We're 1,900 miles from home. No such thing as cell phones existed. Um, No such thing as GPS or any of that existed. We had no way to translate anything. Like we were just out on a limb in a foreign country now, albeit probably the kindest, nicest foreign country you could ever want to be in. And I'm thankful for that looking back. But we were terrified. We were 17-year-old children in a foreign country suddenly realizing the full magnitude of the situation that we had gotten ourselves into. The Canadian government doesn't trust us. We can't trust what the Canadian government's saying because we can't read it. It's in French. And it was just became a really nightmare situation. It was really beautiful, but it became really ugly in that moment. We had three days in the car together, three and a half, whatever it was. We were on each other's last nerve. We had listened to every, we had like 450 CDs between us, compact disc. There's another straight out of the time capsule, y'all. We had something like close to 500 or just a little better than that. And we had listened to all of them. I'm, I'm not lying. By the end of this trip, we had listened to every stinking one of them. We were out of music. We were out of patience for each other. We were out of like, you know, Rolades like our stomachs, our our intestines were doing things that nobody, nobody should ever, ever be witness to. We're stuck in this tiny sports car together. Didn't even have a big enough back seat for another human, barely. And all our stuff's back there. Like this was a whole thing. And suddenly we're in this country where God, who knows what could happen. You know, the mind can reel with the wonders of the possibilities of what could happen because you're 17 and you're suddenly scared of everything because suddenly the full weight of the situation has come down on you. So we spent a little minute in Canada. We did not get to all the way to where we were going and we decided collectively it is time to go home. And we turned that car around and we got going 80 kilometers an hour, 55 back towards the border patrol checkpoint later the same day. And fascinatingly enough, they didn't give a crap that we were going back to America because it was like a drive through window. And I will never for the rest of my life, forget that we went through this whole hell situation coming in through this checkpoint, getting shook down car torn apart. The way out was literally like a McDonald's drive through y'all. It was a brick wall with a window in it. And you pulled up to the window and it went ding. And the lady that was in there, an RCPM or whatever, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, RCMP, opened the window and was like, oh, have a good day, eh? Come back to see us. And we were like, yo. And we were gone. And we pulled into America. And I kid you not, this is a little cheesy, but this is how you think when you're 17 and music is your world. We had Jimi Hendrix from Woodstock in 69, Star Spangled Banner, queued up. And we hit American soil to the shrill screams of Jimi Hendrix, electric guitar. 
as we came back into the United States and we came in maybe a quarter of a mile and pulled over on the shoulder and got out and just stood there. And I'm not kidding, actually felt a relief. Like somehow, even though I was still 1900 miles from home, suddenly I was safe because I was back in America. And that's almost embarrassing to even tell you, but that is the mind of a 17 year old in 1997 that didn't have internet, that didn't have all the things we have today to feel interconnected and have so much information. And it was a real freaking emotional moment in my life. And I wasn't the only one because my boy was feeling the same way over there. We were just looking at each other speechless. Like we made it to Canada. Let's get the hell out of here. And it was an experience that I will never forget. It's an experience that glad I had it. And for, you know, you know what, for years I said, I'm glad I did it once. Cause that is always, always going to be there. For me to tell stories about it's always going to be there as an experience for me to remember to draw from but i'd never want to do it again and now i'm actually rethinking that i do want to do it again but on my terms you know with people that i know i can stand to be with for three days four days five days because my buddy and i we were in the car together for like what six total days maybe seven something like that to go there and back four thousand miles that's 60 hours of driving and you can only go so long and you got to sleep right I would like to do it again, but under different set of circumstances at my pace, (laughs) at my rules. So I think I may just do that again someday, make that a bite, relive that trip as a part of my personal bucket list for myself and take a couple of weeks to do it so I can explore some of the absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous things that I saw along the way that we didn't really have time to stop and enjoy. It was just a rocking and rolling all along, but it's kind of the reason I'd tell this story tonight, because it's not really an outdoor story, but it is a travel story. It is a road trip story. And it was a coming of age experience for me in a lot of ways. And it shaped who I was going to become and the things I wanted to see. Like it really cemented that wonderlust that I've had throughout my life. It was like, look at what you saw. And it didn't cost that much and it didn't take that much to go and see some of the most incredible sights you've ever seen. There's more to go see, dude. There's more to go see. And so it was like a coming of age experience. It was a travel experience. And to me, it fits right into the idea of wayward stories. It's a hella good story, in my opinion, about a coming of age moment, a finding out something about yourself moment and the absolute ludicrous Ludicrousiosity? No, that's not a word. Ludicrousness? Ludicrous. I don't know. The ridiculousness, let's go with ridiculousness. The absolute ridiculousness of how 17-year-old mind works and the things it fears when it gets out there so far from home and there is no lifeline left. No cell phones, no GPS, paper maps. It was just a whole dang thing. A heck of an experience. And I was glad. I'm excited that it finally occurred to me. You know what? I need to tell that on the show because I think that's a good story to tell. And I'm glad that I did. Glad that I told it. And hopefully, hopefully you guys have enjoyed listening to it. We're going to start wrapping it up. We've gone well beyond our hour for tonight, but that's okay. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Um, The rest of the trip home was far less eventful just to wrap it up for you because it feels kind of open-ended. No more tickets occurred. We capped out at three in a grand total of eight or nine hundred dollars worth of tickets to get home. And we screamed back into Hevener, Oklahoma in the two or three in the morning on the last night coming in with the the sunroof back, the windows down, listening to Mama, I'm coming home, Ozzy Osbourne, doing his thing. 
And honestly, all the way from the last stretch out of Kansas on the way home, every song we could find that had the word home in it, Paradise City, like it was just a whole thing. But coming back into Heaven, Oklahoma after seven day adventure like that, listening to Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes shriek out. No, no, that's Zach Wild. My bad. Zach Wild. Tear out through Mama, I'm coming home. Um, Yeah, it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. And I'm glad that I brought it to you guys tonight because I really enjoyed reliving that adventure today. Now, once again, I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's show and it's time to wrap it up. If any of you guys have any stories like mine that you would like to share with your fellow listeners, please write in mywaywardstory at gmail.com. Go over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash waywardstories. I've got a ton of content over there. More of y'all need to go check that out. We have a ton of content over there that's not just this podcast. Anything else, if you want to find my Instagram, any of the other stuff we do, Facebook group, go to waywardstories.com. That is the nexus of information for everything Wayward Stories. Best place you can go to check out everything I got going on. My Sherpa blog is over there. Everything's linkable right there on the main page. You can find it all. Again, I appreciate you guys stopping by. I appreciate you guys coming back week after week. If you like what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to your podcast. The ratings and the reviews are the biggest thing. And um, other than that, just glad you guys stopped in tonight. I can't wait to talk to you in a couple of weeks in our next episode. And until then, you guys be good to each other.